With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets podcast. If you think about what the Jets did, they've added a lot of star power. This was a big day for the New York Jets and obviously for Le'Veon Bell. And now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today, we're going to do a mailbag episode where I go through some of your Twitter questions from over the weekend, most of them relating to free agency after the Jets' first week of transactions, which we discussed in Thursday's episode, and also in this week's 12-pack article, which was published uh, a day or two ago. Uh, This upcoming week, uh, we're not going to have an episode on Thursday. I'm actually going to be traveling and out of the country the back half of the week, so this is probably going to run either Sunday or Monday morning. Uh, We'll continue to have all our daily podcasts and the Play Like a Jets feed and all of our normal articles and social media content. But in terms of podcasts on this feed, our next episode probably won't be until about a week from today. And then we'll get back into our normal Thursday rhythm unless anything dramatic breaking news out of the ordinary happens. And it does seem like the news has slowed down a little bit at this point. As a reminder, before I dive into all of the questions that you guys tweeted over, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes. It's all much appreciated and helps with our searchability. We're also available on Google Play and Spotify if you don't want to listen to your podcast that way. We also embed all of the episodes on the website uh, through our like built-in audio player, so you can listen to it that way as well. A lot of different options to listen to the podcast. iTunes is probably still where we're getting most of our uh, traffic and traction from, though, so definitely hit us there with that uh, subscribe, that rating, and that review. All right, let's jump into some of the questions you sent over. Some of them I did also answer on Twitter, but I could use this to elaborate on them a little more. Uh, First question was from Matthew Casile, and this is a pretty common question that's been asked. Why isn't Justin Houston a Jet yet? Justin Houston hasn't signed with anybody yet, which I think is fairly surprising. A uh, pretty consistent pass rusher for the Kansas City Chiefs has been in double-digit sacks multiple times. Was one of the bigger surprise cuts of the offseason. Does not seem to be a crazily active market for him right now. Why that is, I think more information will probably come out at some point. I don't know if it's just general health or age concerns or other teams having a scheme fit. I don't see any reason that Justin Houston would not make the Jets much better tomorrow, considering their current collection of edge rushers, which is, which is Jordan Jenkins, uh, Frankie Louvu, and that's basically it right now in terms of what's under contract. I do think the Jets are obviously going to plan to address uh, edge rusher in the draft, whether that ends up being with Nick Bosa or Josh Allen, or maybe they'll trade down and look at somebody else. But still, you want more than one option, and you don't want to only be counting on a rookie to make an impact. So I do find it mildly surprising. They haven't participated in the edge market. Uh, they obviously went after Anthony Barr, and that did not work out. Uh, but beyond that, they have not been really rumored to be looking at or be in conversations with anybody. And that goes beyond Houston. That goes to Nick Perry. That goes to Ezekiel Alonso, who's also still out there. 
uh, and some of the lower tier options like uh, like a John Simon who's still out there as well. So, you know, Houston's still out there. I'm sure a team is going to sign him in the next five to ten days. We haven't heard any buzz around the Jets, but that's not a guarantee that they won't find a way to get involved at some point. Let's see. From Eddie Wu. Based on your dream off-season and your expected off-season articles you wrote previously, how would you grade using a letter grade currently the off-season acquisitions made? Right now, I put it at about a B-minus, C-plus range. I think getting Le'Veon Bell, huge win. Uh, Adding Jamison Crowder and Kelechi Assembly to the offense, also big wins. Three transactions I loved in particular. I think the reason you're not looking at an A or a higher B is center is still a large, outstanding need. Edge rusher is still a large outstanding need, and I don't think you could feel good about their cornerback depth chart right now. I think right now you're looking at Tremaine Johnson, Daryl Roberts, and Brian Poole, and knowing how Greg Williams plays defense and will you know leave his corners out there on an island, I think it's really risky to go out there with those three as your top three. I think they still can and will make additions to the position, but... They just have not handled addressing defensively their biggest needs yet. They did upgrade it inside linebacker, but I don't think coming into this offseason anyone would have said inside linebacker was a major need. There's no doubt C.J. Mosley is going to be better than Darren Lee, but it has came at the cost so far of addressing the cornerback and edge rusher position, which, of course, they still have the draft to do. So as it sits right now, you're in that B- minus C-plus range. They unquestionably have gotten better. They've unquestionably made life easier on Sam Darnold by adding Le'Veon Bell and Jamison Crowder and Osemele. Still more work to be done on the offensive side of the ball. I think you've got to build out your depth, particularly on the offensive line. They need a backup quarterback. They need a backup running back. Uh, but that's what the second and third tier of free agency is for. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Let's see here. Common question here from NYK, NYJ, NYY for life. What do you think the Jets do about center? I think at this point, there's not a good answer. I think there's a couple different routes they could go. They could sign a John Sullivan, who the Rams let go, to a one-year deal and have him be a bridge player uh, to another player they draft in the middle rounds. Uh, they could do a similar thing with Josh Sitton, who does not have that much experience at center. I think that's being misconstrued. He played a handful of games at most, if it was even less than that, for the Bears at the position. He's been a guard his entire career. Uh, have him potentially be a bridge uh, Wisenski from the Eagles, I believe, is also out there. But these are guys who are older, below-average veterans. They're not really answers. They're more Band-Aids. I think it's a position you have to address in the draft. And I think everyone seems to just being like, well, they'll just draft a starter in the third round. I think that's easier said than done. There's going to be plenty of other teams looking to add a center. There's going to be teams picking in front of them with those middle-round picks. I think it's definitely something they need to address. But even if they do land that center on day two, assuming he's going to be a quality starter from day one is risky. So there's really only two good free agent options out there to be clear upgrades over Spencer Long, and the Jets passed on both of them. So I think this is a position that we're going to feel kind of shaky about until we see how the draft plays out and how it actually plays out when we get into you know the off-season workouts and preseason and the early regular season. Uh, offensive line is still going to be a question mark unless something radically different happens in the coming months. Since the Jets will have about 40 to $42 million in cap space, what other moves do you think they will make? I don't think the Jets are going to go above and beyond um, in terms of like spending to get down to the absolute like minimum. I do think that 
there's a lot of depth they still need to build out because they a lot of le- let a lot of those guys go. So I think you still want to add another receiver uh, to compete for reps. You don't necessarily want Josh Bellamy being your, your fourth guy. Uh, I think you want to add a backup tight end so you have some competition for Jordan Leggett. You want to bring another running back in to back up Le'Veon Bell. I don't think Eli McGuire is best served as a second running back. I think he's best served as a third running back who's occasionally used in the pass game. You want to add another body at corner. You want to keep adding depth of the defensive line and its safety. So how they fill out that second and third tier of free agency I think is important. Those signings last year were actually pretty effective for the Jets. That's when they got Andre Roberts and Jason Myers and Brandon Copeland uh, and some of these other guys who were low-cost additions who ended up being pretty good for what they were paid. So the Jets really still have to fill out their roster with those type of moves. They still need to add a backup quarterback. My guess is when it's all said and done and the draft is over, they'll be sitting somewhere around you know $20 million free in cap space, which is fine. I think you know cap space can be very flexible and fluid year to year, and it's not something I think the Jets need to get overly worked up about considering what their situation is right now. Now it is just about really nailing how you build out that middle and lower class of the roster so if and when people get hurt and people will get hurt you're not falling off a cliff and you're not having a situation like you did with the bears game last year where sam darnold comes out with a starting offense of you know it was i think the starting receivers that game were curse and burnett because both anderson and a new hour out uh, Bilal Powell didn't play, so they only had Crowell at running back, who was banged up anyway. Uh, you just don't want to be playing with all backups ever in a week like that, people that you just don't feel good about at all playing major reps. So hopefully the Jets uh, find a way to win in that second and third tier of free agency. Um, scrolling down from Brett the Jet. Based on what the team has done so far, I'll be disappointed if they win fewer than nine games this year. Easy schedule, new coaches, better weapons. Should I come back down to earth? There's been a decent amount of questions floating around about this. Evan Silva put a poll out uh, over under on the Jets six and a half wins. I went over on that. I'm not going as high as nine right now. In my mind, if you look at the roster right now uh, and where it seems to be trending towards, this feels like a seven or eight win team. I think, sure, they could get to that nine or ten range if Sam Darnold takes a really big leap in year two. I think if he takes a a moderate size leap, they probably settle in that seven to eight win range. If he doesn't take any steps forward, they got bigger problems, but then they probably stay to be a five or six win team. He is really the swing player on the roster about how good they're going to be. Seven or eight feels about right, though, when you look at the holes they still currently have, particularly a cornerback and pass rusher, and I worry about the offensive line depth much more than I worry about the skill position support now for Sam Darnold. So I've been pretty consistent with this. This is year five for this front office, and it's year four for Adam Gase as a head coach in the AFC East, uh, which in my mind gives him a shorter rope than you would give a brand-new first-time head coach. If this team... I think there's always some context that goes with the record to an extent. I mean, for the most part, you are what your record says you are. If this team wins seven or less games, I think you need to be fully cleaning house. And that sounds dramatic, and I just don't think it is when you're in year five of this process. you got to remember, this is back-to-back years with $100 million in cap space. This is a top-six draft pick, four of the five years. You should be a playoff contender by this point. And by that, I mean winning 8, 9, 10 games. If the Jets go 10 and 6 and miss the playoffs, no, I don't think you need to fire everybody. There's a different context and situation of that. Same thing if you have a 9 and 7 where you're competitive every week and you're right there. I think 8 and 8, you're right on the border. 7 and 9, unless something really fluky happened or anything worse than that, you really got to look at making some wholesale changes because at a certain point, 
it doesn't take that long to build in the NFL. We see teams turning around in one to three years all the time. It doesn't take five or six years. Uh, from Kevin Kerwin, say the Jets trade back to number six and also acquire a second-round pick. What position should be a priority there? I think in these early rounds, they're going to be looking edge, cornerback, center. Those feel like where the biggest holes are and where they need to consider making additions. Offensive line also comes to mind. Potentially wide receiver for the right player because you're always looking to add playmakers around Sam Darnold. I think everyone anticipates them trying like hell to trade back. It's just a matter of finding the right trade partner and whether they can actually execute that. So there's going to be a lot of rumors around that all the way up until they actually make the pick. And if they can get a collection of picks, because they only have six total picks right now, it gives them more dart throws to address the holes in their roster. You've got to assume that those day two and day three picks are really unlikely to make that much of an impact. We've seen that over and over and over again in the past few years. So you want to have more dart throws so you could find more Chris Herndon's and less Nathan Shepard's, Perry Nickerson's, Jeremy Clark's, guys like that who aren't really going to ultimately make any impact for you. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Uh, from Rybred, even with Bell and Crowder added to the mix, do you believe Herndon and Darnold will keep that strong connection they had last year? I think so. I think I projected it. In terms of volume of targets, what I think it will, what the top five will be for the Jets next year. And I think a lot of these could be interchangeable and be pretty tight. But I went Bell first, Crowder second, Anderson third, Anua fourth, and Herndon fifth. And I, again, I think four or five could be pretty interchangeable. And I think one, two, three could be pretty interchangeable as well. But I do think Bell will probably get like 80 or 90 targets this year. He's just going to be so active in that short passing game and with checkdowns when he gets split out. With Crowder, Gase has a history of using that slot receiver a lot and using him in a lot of situations where a pass to him is kind of replacing a handoff. So he feels like the kind of guy is going to have a lot of weeks where he might have like seven catches, but only for 49 or 55 yards. Uh, with Anderson, I still think he could lead the team in receiving yards. I just think the volume of targets will be a little lower, particularly now with the addition of Bell and Crowder. With, same thing with Anua. I think he'll have more opportunities to make more big plays down the field, but there'll be less screens and slot work with Crowder around, so that volume of targets will go down. And Herndon, I think he's going to be in the mix as well, I think particularly in the red zone. you know, Last year he had, I think, somewhere around 40 or 50 catches. I think he could end up replicating that number. I just think that share of targets compared to what it was last year with some of the other options will drop a little bit. But those five are going to eat up, obviously, the bulk of the targets with everyone else kind of you know, circling in behind them with situational work. From Sean Oniton. Presuming the Jets solve the center position, how much pressure is there on Darnold to make a significant year two jump? Is he as good as we hope or think? I think uh, it's all about Darnold, right? Uh, and I think this is a common question. I think Jet fans, rightfully so, because they're Jet fans, and this is what fans do, have already operated under the assumption that Darnold is great and is going to be a franchise quarterback. I think other people might be a little more skeptical and say we need to see a little more. I think Darnold showed a lot his rookie year. Uh, I think he met or mildly exceeded my expectations, in particular because of how he finished the season and he was in such a bad situation. Now, you you need him with what the Jets have added to make that Wentz, that Goff-like leap, even Trubisky to an extent. And a lot of that was, I think, due to the work Nagy did and how they built their offense. But you need that jump in year two. Uh, otherwise, I think there's going to be rightful concerns. You don't want Darnold that, 
you know, 19 touchdowns and 18 interceptions next year. You don't want Darnold to have the four or five interception games. Uh, you want him consistently throwing for well over 200 yards every single week. You know, this should be a guy with his talent and with how they've added around him that is completing 60% or more of his passes, uh, is well over 20, 25 touchdowns and has a much bigger disparity between his touchdowns and interceptions and increases his yards per attempt. Uh, pretty notably. They have to have that jump. And if they have that jump for him, a lot of other things will fall into place. And like I said, there's no reason to think that this team can't compete for a wild card spot. Uh, I didn't touch on it before, but in terms of their schedule, schedule is such a hard thing because we don't know who is going to exceed expectations, uh, come in below expectations, uh, get hurt, not get hurt. I think when you look at their schedule on paper, the AFC East, we know Miami's tanking, so those should be winnable games. Buffalo and the Jets are going to be alternatively picked between finishing second and third, depending on who's making the predictions. It's hard to ever say you're going to sweep Buffalo. Those teams seem to split uh, pretty consistently. So I've, you know, finding a way to potentially get a sweep against them, I think, is the kind of thing the Jets need to do. Uh, if they're going to be a playoff team, New England, the Jets have lost seven of their last eight to New England. I think getting a split against them is a win. They just have to find a way to avoid getting swept by them. Playing the AFC North uh, is going to be a challenge this year. Cleveland looks really good on paper, and they beat the Jets last year. Uh, Baltimore playoff team last year. Uh, Pittsburgh has obviously taken a step back with the talent they lost, but Pittsburgh is never an easy place to play uh, and a game uh, to have to deal with. Cincinnati is probably going to be pretty bad next year. Uh, you look at the NFC East, the Giants are a mess right now. The Redskins with Case Keenum not looking too good. Dallas coming off a playoff year where they won a game. The Eagles are always tough. So, you know, you find a way to go two and two there, maybe three and one if you want to be a playoff team. Uh, and then their two extra games are against Oakland and Jacksonville. Oakland will be improved with some of the additions they made. They still have a long ways to go, obviously, with Carr. And then Jacksonville, I don't think it looks terrific on paper, but Jacksonville did beat the crap out of the Jets last year with Bortles at quarterback. Now they'll have Foles. So I don't think it's a cakewalk schedule. I don't think it's a particularly difficult schedule. I think the difference on whether the Jets are going to be 7-9 and nine and 10-6 and six is if they find a way to sweep Buffalo instead of split with them. Split with New England instead of get swept by them. Uh, beat Jacksonville and Oakland instead of splitting with them. Going three and one in the NFC East instead of only going one and two or, or a one and three. Those are really where the differences are going to be made. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Um, from NYC Sports, any chance the Jets make a move for AJ Green or is Diggs going to be available in Minnesota? A lot of people seem to be anticipating that the Jets are going to make one more massive trade. I don't think it's off the table. I mean, some of the names that are most commonly asked about are A.J. Green because the Bengals appear to be going under undergoing a rebuild. Uh, Jadavion Clowney uh, because he got that franchise tag. I am not... I would not bet on the Jets making that type of monster, monster trade. I could see them making some other type of addition via trade, maybe draft weekend, but... At this point, I would not anticipate them taking a massive swing. Could be wrong. Uh, they definitely could use a, another sort of big swing on either side of the ball. Uh, I just wouldn't bet or anticipate it happening at this point. A lot of questions about Darren Lee uh, and keeping him, moving him to weak side backer. I think you know from reading the tea leaves, it's very clear that... Manish has a, a pretty clear pipeline to someone in the Jets front office, probably someone like Brian Heimerdinger or somewhere around him. And I don't think it's an accident that they leak that they're interested in trading him. And it's kind of hard to come back from that when you do that. They signed CJ Mosley to replace him. They're going to run a 3-4. We know that from what they've 
talked about publicly from keeping Henry Anderson at the money that they did. Darren Lee, yes, maybe situationally he could be used as an outside linebacker in a 3-4, but once you leak that you want him traded, it's hard to come back from that, and that's to put the league on notice. And I would guess draft weekend, the Jets try to find a way to package him for a day three pick in some way. That's just my guess on the situation. It's not out of the question that he's brought back, but when you go out of your way to pay pay $85 million to replace Darren Lee, it doesn't ring as a confidence endorsement on what you think he could do in your defense. Uh, so I'm not anticipating him being on the team next year. From Jordan Lewis, going into the offseason, one could argue the Jets' biggest needs on offense was center and then defense was edge rusher. What options do the Jets have going forward to fill these big holes? It's a fair question and complaint. I, I would say that was a very fair way to assess that. I would also say corner was up there too. I think at edge rusher and at center now, you're basically looking at veteran bridge options and addressing in the draft. And I think that seems to be the strategy. The Jets internally are probably saying, we're either going to trade back and have a lot of swings at filling these holes, or we're going to stay put at three and draft Bosa or Josh Allen to fill our needed edge rusher, uh, and we'll sort out center with a bridge player and a second-round or third-round pick if they acquire a second-round pick by trading back. It's risky, and there's no guarantee it's going to work, and you're not going to fill every single need in one offseason. The Jets just had too many needs to do that. I just always worry mostly about offensive line because you've got to keep Sam Donald upright and give him every chance to succeed. Uh, from Billy Schnarr's uh, question about Darkies Denar, got a couple of questions about him. He's definitely someone I would look at bringing in. I'd feel a lot better about the outside cornerback situation if you brought in another veteran like him to compete with Daryl Roberts. Like Daryl Roberts a lot as your fourth corner. Don't love him as your second corner. I feel the same way about Harrison at center. Like him as your top backup on the interior offensive line. Don't love him as a 16-game starter. That's why I still think the Jets have work to do with both of those positions. Um, question from Patrick Smiraldi. Scenario, Kyler and Williams go 1-2 and Bosa is staring us in the face. Since we have so many knees, would you trade back for someone if they blew you away with the package? I don't think you pass on Bosa. I think Edge is a massive need and Bosa is the best player in the draft. So you take your good fortune and you take him at third overall. Uh, and you don't look back from that and you, you, know, you figure out the rest from there. Um, from Pray for Jack, do you think they should look at Charles Johnson as a wide receiver option? He seemed to have a rapport with Sam last year, and he's been playing well in the AAF. I mean, maybe as a camp flyer, I, I don't see what he is besides a fourth or fifth receiver at this point. Uh, it's not crazy. I'd probably feel better with him as a fourth receiver than Bellamy, but I think the Jets need to look at receiver in the draft, particularly on day two and day three, to do a better job of building out some long-term depth of the position than they've done in the past when they've used day two picks on Devin Smith, Chad Hansen, Ardarius Stewart, et cetera, et cetera. Um, from Dominic D'Angelo, do you think the Jets should try to get someone like Duke Johnson and cover their bases in case something happens to Le'Veon? Is there a particular backup talent that could complement Bell and help Darnold in certain situations? I think this is a good question because I think running back two is important. I think when Le'Veon was with the Steelers, his backups did not get a lot of work. But I think the Jets, you need to plan for the worst case scenario so you're not caught flat-footed. Flat-footed. So with Le'Veon, he's coming back from a year off. He's going to, in a way, be playing himself back into football shape. So I don't think you want to overdo his usage in the early part of the season. And I think you've got to plan for that and have a capable number two that you feel good about. Personally, I do not think Eli McGuire is that guy. I think if you look at all the film and you look at all the metrics, 
He's been really bad as a runner. When they hand him off, the, when they hand the football to him, he has not been good at all. Now, as a pass catcher out of the backfield, I think he's been useful and made some plays. And I think as a number three running back and as a guy who maybe has two to four passes a week thrown to him and maybe like one or two handoffs, sure, I think that's fine. I would feel better with Bilal Powell on a minimum deal, and that's all you would give him, the minimum, as your backup running back, but I would still do more than that. I wouldn't be hesitant to bring in a guy like TJ Yeldon to be the backup. He's not going to cost anything at this point of free agency. I also wouldn't be shy about looking at running backs on day three of the draft. I think you've got to protect yourself in case Bell misses two or three games this year, or you only want to give him 18 or 20 touches the first couple of weeks of the year and not 28 to 32 touches as he's ramping back up. So I would not be averse to signing a guy like TJ Yeldon who could is a three-down player. He, he's fine. He's not great, but I feel a lot better with him as a backup running back over a guy like McGuire or Cannon. Uh, from Ron Hillman, is this our cornerback group? Because it seems as bad, if not worse, than last year. Am I wrong? Your short answer is you're not wrong, because I'm not sure Dale Roberts is better as a full-time starter than Morris Claiborne. They're probably pretty comparable eh, either way. I don't think there's a reason to think Tremaine Johnson is going to be a year older and better. I know everyone thinks Greg Williams is magically going to turn him five years younger, but I don't think that's a fair expectation of him. Cornerbacks generally don't age well. And then the slot, I think Poole will be a moderate upgrade over Buster Screen. They're really similar players. Poole's just younger and bigger, uh, where Screen might be a little more athletic. I think slot corner is a tough spot to fill, and I, I think they're similar tier players. Uh, and their depth, obviously, is a little shakier now. If Roberts is your two and not your four. That leaves your four is probably like Derek Jones, and I think we all like the way Derek Jones looked in the preseason, but we have no proof that he could handle a bigger role. So they need to make more additions to the position, like two more additions, I think. I would add a veteran and a pick in the first three rounds, if possible, to feel better about that depth chart uh, because those guys are going to be left on an island a lot by Greg Williams. So you want to feel good about the talent you have out there. Let's see, we'll do one more question from Daniel Santo. Why didn't you love Mosley's move to add Mosley? So when I wrote my 12-pack and I tweeted this out, I put the moves that I loved were Bell, Crowder, Osemele. I put Mosley between meh and like. Uh, I said with Roberts and Henry Anderson. I said with Roberts and Harrison between meh and like, but I'd move them to like if they were backups and not starters. Henry Anderson, I said meh because I just think they paid too much for a guy who's been really banged up three of the four years of his career and plays a pretty replaceable position. Here is my why I didn't put Mosley in the love category. Mosley is a great football player. He's arguably the best inside linebacker in the NFL. He is, was given a record-setting contract at his position. In my mind, for the Jets to spend record-setting money at a position, I'm not crazy that that position was inside linebacker. I think Mosley will be an upgrade over what they had. I think he'll be one of the best players in the league at his position next year and probably the year after. In year three, when they're still under contract with him, is he still going to be there? Is his game going to age well? I'm not 100% sure of that. And I just think teams are going to line up against that Jets defense and they're going to say, how can we spread them out and get Avery Williamson and C.J. Mosley in space and take advantage of that? Can C.J. Mosley regularly match up with James White and other speed backs out of the backfield uh, and shut them down in coverage? I think some weeks he will be able to. Some weeks I'm a little worried. And it makes me wary that a team like Baltimore, who's generally been pretty smart, 
did not want to match the Jets' money and believes they could get maybe 80% of his production for 10% of the cost. So it's not a critique of the player, and I get the Jets have to pay a tax because they've been bad to go get premium all-pro talent, which Mosley is at his position. It's just a question of how valuable is his position. And I think I had a lot of fans tell me going into free agency that Avery Williamson was really like a borderline all-pro player, and Darren Lee was a hit as a first-round pick and was projecting to be an all-pro. If both of those things were true, which they weren't, by the way, why would you need to go add an all-pro inside linebacker? Clearly, the Jets did not evaluate Darren Lee uh, in that way, and they were realistic about what Avery Williamson is and isn't. He's a good player, not a great player, not going to be a pro bowler or all-pro. I think Mosley is at that level. I just worry about how offenses are going to attack the Jets, and I worry about the resource allocation on the defensive side of the football, basically making yourself great at inside linebacker but staying mediocre at best as it stands right now at cornerback and edge. That's the only reason it's not in the love category. Mosley's a great player. He's going to be a great leader on the defense. Uh, he's a high-floor transaction, meaning you're not going to get a Tremaine Johnson situation where he's going to stink next year and not show up to work. So those are all positives with that move as well. All right. Thank you, everybody, for your questions. Uh, you can always tweet them over to me at Jay Caparoso. Again, remember, subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. We'll be back in about a week with a new episode. Uh, follow the site for all new content every single day. No days off in the off season.